Barnes. So how do we feel as we take the temperature of the Sixers? It feels like all the time. How do we feel in Philly right now, Stephen A.? Well, they're lucky as hell. Let's just call that what it is. Scotty Barnes being out, Gary Trent being out, uh, you know, and others. I mean, they're lucky as hell. If Toronto doesn't win game two, this series is over in five. Well, Varel, everything that could go wrong did go wrong in game one against the Philadelphia 76ers. 131-111, blowout loss away at Philly. We won't have Scotty Barnes, Thaddeus Young, or Gary Trent Jr. for tonight's game two. And within the space of 48 minutes, so much optimism was turned into doom and gloom. Where do we start with this loss? There are numerous factors which contributed, both external, uh, both with the Raptors team, maybe with the refs, and with Philly itself, of course. But where do we start? with this loss and how do we move forward? I think the most disastrous part about it was what you mentioned, being without three really, well, three of our, you know, core pieces, but more so I'd say two of our fire starters in Trent and Scotty Barnes. Like those guys really, especially Scotty in the first game, Trent didn't have such a great game, but Scotty was phenomenal. He almost had a triple-double in um, the first game. So he's going to be a massive missing factor. Um, but I think what summarises really well how this game went was that we lost every single quarter. Although we were down pretty much 20 by the end of the second quarter anyway, and we only lost the third and fourth quarters by like one point. The important thing is here, from pretty much starting Bell to finish, like ending uh, Bell, the end of the game, we we didn't look, we didn't have even a stretch of say like four or five made baskets in a row, like an eight o run at any point during the game. We were outplayed from minute one to minute forty eight, and I think that was what was most worrying for me. I there wasn't a lot of optimism, and um, the other statistic I want to throw at you before I throw it back to you, Kamel, is that. Uh, in the first half, Philadelphia were the third team in over 20 postseasons not to have turned the ball over in a half. They had zero turnovers in the first half. And we are a team, we said before the series, we predicate a lot of, uh, lot of our game, especially our offense, because we, turn, we take those turnovers and we turn it into fast break points. A lot of it is predicated on our ability to force the other team into turnovers. So, Without that, we kind of saw what what would end up happening. If it's just a half-court versus half-court, you know, uh, battle against the likes of Philly, then we're going to lose every single time. And so this game pretty much went as badly as it possibly could for us. Well, there's, there's so much to break down in what you said. I'll just address a couple of things. You're right. There was only, I think, one mini run. That was in the third quarter when they managed to cut it down to 11. But that was strictly and very quickly put to bed by Tyrese Maxey's performance. And then we'll discuss that a little later. But that last point that you made is extremely crucial. The Raptors, of course, have not only their strengths, but their very identity on both ends of the floor is as an offensive rebounding team and a team which forces a lot of turnovers. Um, it's a remarkable stat, of course, zero turnovers by half and only three by the end of the game. And one of them was Isaiah Joe right at the end. Yeah, um, exactly. 
uh, in terms of offensive rebounds, the Raptors lost badly, you know, seven, uh, seven to ten. And in fast break points, which was crucial, and again, this was mainly Tyrese Maxey, Raptors lost 29 to 10 in terms of fast break points. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, Philly already, you're right, in terms of with James Harden and Embiid, they're kind of half-court isolation-heavy players. It's already difficult enough. And then if you're losing and turning your strengths into weaknesses, it's it's never, never going to be easy. Um, I do want to discuss the refereeing performance here and never one on this podcast to complain about refs never want to bring up any conspiracy but it did appear that this ref in particular was very ill-suited to the raptors physical style of defense now in our preview couple of our preview episodes we did talk about how maybe the style that nick nurse plays in terms of physical defense will actually endear the raptors more to playoff refs because right they swallow their whistles more they allow a little bit more the old school defense come through but in the first eight seconds van vliet was penalized for literally i mean barely brushing tyrese maxi's arm and that kind of set the tone for what was to come and you ended up with van vliet fouling out of course you ended up with uh siakam on four fouls chris boucher fouling out uh and the likes of og uh gary trent on two fouls as well. What do you mm. think was um, the main factor? Do you think the Raptors need to dial it back a bit, or do you think there were legitimate concerns that this is not being refed properly? No, I actually do. I personally, I think the rest were fine. Um, in fact, there were quite a lot of missed calls. I felt that Philly probably should have gotten. I think Harden had four or five in the first half, where I thought. Yeah, he probably was fouled then. If this was two years ago, he would be getting those foul calls. So, um, I, I know that first, you know, the first, it wasn't just the eight seconds. I think the first couple of minutes we ended up like racking up a lot of fouls, but um, there weren't many I thought were that dubious. The Van Vliet one was probably the most egregious of them all, but I think it's probably a fact of, yes, A, Kamel, like Harden is one of the best foul drawers in the league. And Embiid was pretty... Because Embiid won, like, four offensive rebounds in the first couple of minutes. Um, when we were boxing him out, it would take two of us boxing him out. And one of the one of the uh, players' roles, one of the uh, rebounding players' roles was pretty much to hack Embiid while the other one went up for the rebound. So, um, I, I genuinely think we're going to be at a free-throw discrepancy for the rest of the series. Um that's almost a given, I think. And yeah, I think we do need to dial it back. But on the defensive end, because offensively, in fact, Kamel, we did shoot the ball quite well. I felt our half-court offense, we were quite good at exploiting mismatches. Whenever, for example, one of these big guys had Tyrese on them, he would usually back him up into the post and, you know, take him on. Um, yeah, we although we settled at the mid-range quite a lot, we did make a lot of these mid-range shots as well. Siakam made quite a few of them. Um, so it, offensively, it really wasn't our issue. But I have to say defensively, Kamel, we did not throw any different looks at them whatsoever. All Philly had to do all game, and it, it was inc- the reason they didn't turn the ball over was because their offense was incredibly simple. They'd bring the ball up the floor, pick and roll between Embiid, and Harden on, say, like a quarter of the possessions. On the possessions that they didn't, you know, look at the pick and roll, it was pretty much a case of uh, Harden would 
attempt to penetrate. And if he if he found like semi sort of penetration, we would be very very eager to bring some help defense over uh, over to Harden, and Harden would immediately make the correct pass, and it would be a wide open three. And and there's a reason Philly shot the ball so well, especially the three ball in this game, was because they had a ridiculous number of wide open threes. But that's um, that's also surely a strategy. I mean, you look at the box score. And on the surface of it, the Raptors did stop Harden and Embiid pretty well. Embiid went 5 for 15. Harden went 6 for 17. I know Harden got 14 assists, but that's quite similar to, I believe it's the last regular season game where he went 3 for 12 and got 15 assists in that game. And in my opinion, it was only kind of the Red Hawk form of Tyrese Maxey that really made the difference here. And it's maybe getting a defender... Uh, like Malachi Flynn or Fred Van Vliet to really lock down a little more on Maxi, uh, that will make the difference in game two. I'm not sure necessarily that Nick Nurse coached a bad defensive game. Uh, well, I think it was too one-dimensional and Philly have seen it too many times this season. Um, the thing with, uh, what, with what happened with Maxi there is pretty, so many of his buckets were off, especially in that first half. I know he got red hot later on, but most of these, like even Tobias Harris, I would say, but a lot of these buckets were just, they were swinging the ball around the perimeter and it's wide open. Like it always hardened, like I said, penetrating and then help defense comes over, immediately pass it to the wide open man, three-pointer. Like if you, I watched every minute of it and I, I actually re-watched some of the first half now and it was just way too easy. There's a reason there was zero turnovers. Like it, I, I do, if, if Philadelphia attack exactly like they did in the second game, I don't see how anything would possibly go different. We'd just be crossing our fingers and hoping those um, wide-open three-point shots don't go in. Um, I, I don't think that's a good strategy. They, they so, looked un, completely unplayable in this game. And, yeah, I think we need to mix up the uh, defensive strategy. We can't simply double and triple team Embiid every time he gets into the post. We can't... We let James Harden shoot... Um, his step-back threes, because he, he doesn't hit step-back threes at a 40% rate. He hits them at like 35 34%. Whereas these other guys, that they hit their wide-open three-point shots about 38 39 40%. So there would be times when Harden would like fake the step-back and then not only would his defender really step up, but also the help defender would be there dropping down into the paint um, like or like at least coming over towards Harden in case, again, uh, while because what happens with Harden's three-point step back is his defender has to step up massively, but that also opens the drive behind him for Harden to exploit. That forces the help defender over, but we should just basically let him take those kind of step backs and not just allow him to pass to wide open three-point shooters, which he was doing all game. So I think something needs to change because it looked way too easy for them. Uh, and I think it's for most of the game. It looked way too straightforward for Harden. Yeah, no, that's that's actually some really insightful analysis. And I know this is not a binary decision between for Nick Nurse between letting Embiid and Harden get theirs and or simply letting the role players do the work. But you're right, there does need to be some some sort of mix up here. I think maybe to sort of wrap up this Raptors section, obviously we're going game two tonight without Scotty, Thad and Gary Trent Jr. Who are the players you are giving minutes to off the bench who defensively would do the job? I'll, I'll go first and I'll say Malachi Flynn. I'll say someone who can deal with the likes of Tyrese Maxey, the likes of the small quick guard who's given 
the Raptors trouble this year. Past that, I really don't know. Maybe giving Ken Birch more of a role. But apart from that, I'm confused. I don't know if the likes of Utah, Anton, Armani Brooks can do the job and fill in those minutes. What do you think? No, I'm... I think that's right. Normally, I would say Van Vliet is, of course, like he's Van Vliet's very good at staying in front of his man. He's he's just a good defender, but Van Vliet's mobility is not there. Um, so because he's still really recovering from that knee issue, so I think yeah, I I agree with you. I would actually like to see Flynn have some more minutes, but because Maxi was way too quick for everyone, like every other defender, um, he's too quick for the six eight guys, and yeah. Malachi is more so his side and he's got a quick, quick like first step. Van Vliet normally, I think, would be able to keep up. But like I said, because of injury, he can't. So I think that would be quite nice. I think giving Boucher more minutes as well. I think I'm, I rate his defence very highly still. Um, so I think those two would uh, maybe, uh, honestly, I'll, I probably would like to see some zone defence as well. Just maybe for five, ten minutes in the game, just so you give them different looks because it was just too easy for them. No, that's fair enough. And, you know, it'll be an uphill battle tonight. That's, that's for sure. But as we, as we know, as we all know, the series doesn't really start until someone loses at home. So let's not get too down on ourselves and let's at least wait till that game three. Um, after the break, we're going to be going into the rest of the Eastern Conference. So, when we look at some of these other Eastern Conference first-round playoff series, going into it, I thought maybe this Raptors Sixers one was probably going to be the most competitive outside of, of course, what ended up being an absolute thriller of the game between the Celtics and the Nets. And we'll definitely have a focus on that game because it was just probably one of the best games played this season. Um, Just incredible start to finish. These two teams look like two of the best teams in this conference. Um, and so maybe let's jump straight into that one because it was so incredibly back and forth. And Kamel, did you have the opportunity to actually watch this game? And if so, like, what are your thoughts on it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't miss this game for the world. One, because I would not stand it if Boston managed to go the full distance this time. Um, but secondly, I wanted to have a look at our old friend, Goran Dragic, of course, the man who had Higher ambitions um, than to play in the playoffs is is now also playing the playoffs alongside Toronto. But, you know, along with sort of Ramadan Kyrie and his form, Goran was actually pretty good in this game, I, I have to say. 14 points plus 17 off the bench in 26 minutes. And on a sort of dig- uh, on a digression, he sort of got me wondering what if the Raptors had an experienced guard to take up minutes from Van Vliet to hit easy right. mid-range shots to dime sensibly. Right. But but right. it just it just it just let's focus on something else for now because you know there's enough doom and gloom in Raptors world. I want to talk about Kevin Durant selling the bag. I mean, Kyrie was absolutely phenomenal this game. And I know KD scored 23, but he went nine of 24 from the field, especially in the first half. He was bricking mid-range pull-ups that I've never seen him miss before. What do you think is the future for KD in this series? And, you know, was this just a great job by the Celtics on it? An incredible job by the Celtics. I think they put him off his game early because he turned 
he I'm not sure how many times he ended up turning it over, but he almost turned it over three, four times in the first like five to six minutes. Like the defense on him was exceptional. I say it's particularly with Tatum. Tatum did a great job on him whenever he was one on one with him. Fast, active hands, but even if it wasn't him, like Robert Williams, although he's a shorter defender, he he has a kind of a similar build to PJ Tucker. A uh, similar sort of athleticism to him as well. And, of course, P.J. Tucker defended him pretty well in the Bucs series last year. Um, so, like, we've always said this about Boston. They've also got quite a lot of versatile defenders, which is why they've given teams defensive troubles in the past. And, um, yeah, I think KD is genuinely going to just have a tough series against them. He'll, he'll still have 30, 40-point games. And the fact that he still scored 23 when he was so visibly... Uh, you know, not, I, I wouldn't say he wasn't get, getting frustrated. I think he still kept his head. He's still level-headed. But when he's so clearly uh, struggling with these guys, um, yeah, I think uh, he'll still probably, you know, average 25-30 a game. But it might be the case that Kyrie has to be the main offensive load because uh, while Smart, uh, whenever he was on him, did do a decent job at, you know, keeping him in front and everything... Marcus Smart is definitely his biggest strength is a as is a team defender. Um, he is, he has really good IQ and I and he's really good for example at defending guys who are bigger than him. Some of the two threes and fours, but he's not he hasn't got incredibly quick lateral quickness. And um, he would like like most players in the league to be honest, he struggled to keep Kyrie in front of him. Uh, so I think Kyrie might be their main offensive threat. And to be honest, Kamel. I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea for the Nets because if you say to Durant, right, try and get, you know, like 25 a game, but we also want you to be our team's best defender as well and try and maybe focus your energy on that end. I'm not sure if Durant is still the same defender he was, you know, three, four years ago for the Warriors when he was exceptional for them in the playoffs, but it might be the best focus for them for, you know, uh, Durant to actually focus on the defensive end, which sounds ridiculous talking about one of the best scorers of all time. That's that's really... And I think that last possession showed what the Celtics did just in terms of their defensive scheme. I mean, uh-huh. doubling up Kyrie for that last drive. And then they forced the pass out to Durant. And then, you know, I've never seen someone like KD struggle to get a shot off. And of course, that was pretty much all Jason Tatum. But one guy I also wanted to bring up was Al Horford. I mean... There's a lot of talk before the series about maybe the Nets targeting him. Uh, but, you know, 41 minutes he played, 20 points, 15 rebounds, plus eight on the floor. He was he was an absolute machine. And, you know, he Terrific. showed that real vet presence coming in. Um, I don't know that and maybe any other factors you sort of noticed throughout this game. No, I, I think that's right. Al Horford, amazing on the glass. I think... Um, the Nets talked about it in their post-game interviews. They just uh, really struggled on the glass as well. Um, yeah, of course, they don't have Andre Drummond any longer. Nick Claxton isn't really like a rebounding type of player. Um, so, yeah, I think that's they're going to struggle with that all-series rebounding, to be honest. Well, what, what do you think happened? What do you think happened to Drummond? I mean, he only he only grabbed four rebounds in this game. The um, The Nets lost 43-29 rebounding. Claxton, of course, uh, played the majority of minutes at the five. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he was he was pretty good. He was plus he was, he was. He But was. Um, it's interesting to see Drummond 
couldn't compete really with with Al Horford, despite being much younger and traditionally a much better rebounder. Well, because they were bringing the centre out to the perimeter because Al Horford doesn't mind sitting on the perimeter. And Drummond is by now, is he can't move his feet in the slightest. And whenever he was getting switched on uh, in a pick and roll, let's say like Tatum was attacking him, it's, it's game over. Um, so that's why they can't really afford to play him that much because Claxton is, yeah, he's much more uh, athletic. He's got much more, he's got much better lateral movement. So, uh, yeah, they can't play him that much, really. Otherwise, they'll, they'll just get killed every time. Well, that is certainly a series to watch. And I know you've been keeping your eye on the other games in the Eastern Conference because apparently you have a faint hope that the Raptors can indeed make it through. Uh, if they do, it's likely, it seems, that they'll be playing the Nets, who dispatched the Hawks 115-91 in their first game. Uh, any any takeaways from this? Of course, Kyle Lowry, it's nice to see him back in the game, but any other takeaways uh, from this postseason affair? Uh, yeah, the Heat are most certainly one of the best teams in the league. I think they kind of showed it in this game. Um, limiting this Hawks offense, one of the best offenses in the league, and limiting them to not just under 100 points, but pretty much 90 points, is it was quite scary. Um, yeah, I think we've spoken about the Nets and Celtics quite a lot. Um, so I don't want to discuss too much of this game, but um, they seem to slowly, towards the end of the season, they slowly seem to be getting back into their groove because they did have their struggles. They had that little bit of beef and tension between Haslam and Butler and people saying, oh, Butler's completely off form and all this and that. But this team is built for the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I think they'll definitely be uh, beating the Hawks. And, yeah, we'll see who they end up playing between the Sen Sixers and Raptors. But they could well come out of the East. And just before we wrap up, uh, over in the Bulls v Bucks game, maybe the return of playoff DeRozan showing why maybe the Raptors traded him away a couple of years ago. Six of 25 from the floor. And really, the Bulls' big forward misfiring immediately. Yeah, and um, certainly Lonzo Ball was a miss for them. Um, what, out of curiosity, Kamel, what did you have um, in your uh, bracket predictions? What, what um, score did you have this series ending up as? Like, did you have it as a sweep, 4-1, 4-2? No, I had uh, I had Bucks in five, to be honest. Bucks in five. I had Bucks in five also. I think that's sensible. I mean, yeah, you're right. Without Lonzo, I don't know. They they don't seem as free these before, and it's it's, it's going to be difficult for them against such a stacked team. Um, but interesting. Moving on to bracket, actually. Uh, thank you, those of all you who already joined our bracket on nbabracketology.com. Um, I think just to wrap wrap things up we should kind of go through, at least in the Eastern Conference, who's going to come out of this round in particular. What what have you said? We can now reveal them, of course, now that the playoffs have started, but you can still feel free to join and sign up. Uh, but what are you saying for this round of the Eastern Conference? I think we already discussed this last week, but I, I had the Raptors uh, winning in six against the Sixers. <laughs> still? Yeah, still. Um, okay, okay. I know this injury changes it, but um, yeah, still. I know you had them. Did you have them or Philly winning in seven? Raps in seven. Raps in seven. Raps in seven. So I'm still sticking right, with right. that, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, okay, that's probably the only like one I'm not that confident with. But then uh, the Bucks I had in five against the yep, Bulls. Yep, likewise. Said had them likewise. In five. 
Uh, and the Nets and Celtics, I had the Celtics taking it in seven. Celtics in six for me. Um, although six. I might change that now to seven, having seen that recent game, to be honest. Yep. Right, 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 right. Um, and then lastly, uh, the Heat and the Hawks. I actually had the Heat and five against the Hawks. No, Heat and six. I think the Hawks uh, will respond. They've got that. They they have got. They're not a young, inexperienced team. They've got that playoff kind of metal about them. They'll they'll bounce back, but they're still losing six. I I'm actually leaning more so, more towards a Heat sweep rather oh. than Heat and six. Yeah, heat, one heat game, man. So, no, but it's not just one game. It, it was going into the series. Like Heat are so unbelievably underrated this year. I'm not really sure why. And the Hawks haven't looked that great this year. They've struggled so much defensively, and I think they just lost um, Clint Capella as well to injury in that and in, in this game. And then so if having to play Onyeko Kongwu, who hasn't had any sort of real experience, um, if you're playing him 35, 40 minutes a game, like Bam Adebayo is going to absolutely eat him alive. Um, so yeah, I think that's. God, it, 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 that Capella injury did change things but also Capella just hasn't been that great for them this whole season I think Collins is also out for them John Collins so they are missing two of their probably out, after Trey Young those are probably their two best players um, so yeah I think that's probably another reason why I think they're going to struggle well we'll drop that bracket in the podcast description otherwise though Tonight's a big game, but as we said before, it don't start till game three. But we will be producing content for you after every single Raptors game. Hopefully it's more than four. Uh, that's kind of the baseline uh, for this postseason. <laughs> for postseason episodes. <laughs> has our like, um, view on it changed all to that dramatically already? Hopefully. We, we're hoping and praying that it's more than four. More yeah, than a four game sweep. Just avoid a sweep. That's the that's a bonus. <laughs> Any yeah. other games past that is a bonus. Uh, Brian, we'll see you in a couple of days then. All right. Take care, everyone.